Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Let's get chatting immediately because, if you recall, a few weeks back we met my first guest today. Yes, he was preparing for a big fight in Belfast at the weekend. And guess what? Yes, he's won again. He's made it 12 wins from 12 and he's back with us on Late Lunch today. Irish featherweight champion Eric Donovan, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Congratulations. Yes, thank you very much. And you look well. There's, a, there's no marks on the face or anything. No, well, <laughs> looks can be deceiving as well. Underneath, <laughs> my muscles are very sore are and uh, the body is recovering now. But um, no, but I have to say it was a fantastic performance. You know, it was, I was very, um, very happy with my performance and I got a good lot of uh, good feedback and uh, the, the kind of... the the boxing critics and that out there are talking about, you know, the performance has been a very impressive one and one mm. that, you know, should push me way up the ladder and, and, and looking for, you know, big shots at, at bigger titles. At the European title is what this man mm. wants and we say it again, come on, he deserves a shot at it at this stage. Mm. But look at it, in the run-up to the fight itself, you really had to change tack because you were due to fight Montilla mm. and at the 11th hour, he withdrew from the contest and then Mexican mm. Joseph Reyes was drafted in. Now, this mm. is no mean performer that you beat. No, it was a week before I'd, I had all my training camp finished, my sparring finished. It was a week before the fight. My manager rings me up and tells me I have good news and bad news. And it's the last thing you want to hear when you're approaching, you know, fight night and... Um, but he said Montilla is out and I said oh god and he goes but we have a solid replacement you know this guy's been in this uh, Joseph Reyes has been in with two world champions two European champions and I was like okay alright slow down there but he goes like you know like you know this will be a, a very good fan friendly fight you know and, and I had a look at him the only, the only curveball well for me I was a little bit miffed initially but then I thought look I I've sold a lot of tickets. I've a lot of fans coming up. You know, a lot of the Drogheda and Tully Island fans getting behind me as well, and fans from Kildare and Thai, my hometown, and so, and 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 all around Ireland. So I was like, right, the show must go on. So we need to prepare for this guy. But the thing was, Montilla was a South, uh, was an Orthodox fighter, and all of my training was against Orthodox fighters. The new guy, uh, Reyes, was a Southpaw, and all of my sparring was done. But I had to be professional. I had to say, look. Um, you just have to accept it um, and adapt I'm, I'm experienced enough and long enough in the tooth to know what to do and 
you know, thankfully I delivered on, on, on a very you good performance. You certainly did. And it's the first time this guy was stopped in, in all his fights. Yeah. Round seven, you went to the seventh round and you, yeah. the referee stepped in then and, and stopped it. Mm. But it's a great win for you. How closer do you think does this propel you to that holy grail of getting a shot at yeah. a, a European title? Yeah, well... I told you about this before, Jerry. A lot of politics is involved. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to yeah. professional sport, there's a lot of politics involved and strings being pulled and this and that and the other. But nobody can really um, deny that it was a very good performance and no one can deny that I am now a, a serious, credible opponent and a candidate for a European title. I'm in the top 20 in Europe and you have to be in the top 20 to fight for the title. So I am elig- elig- eligible to fight for that title. My manager will need to now get his negotiation skills and, and get his negotiation uh, cap on him and and really try and negotiate hard for me to get a get a crack. Like I told you before, uh, the last time I was on that I was, I, I nearly had a had a European title fight last October and it fell through. So some things are outside of my control. All I can do is be training hard, be ready, and stay focused. And hopefully, the people representing me will get me the breaks. And I know from boxing as well, when when somebody is a title holder and, and they've obviously strived hard mm. to get that title as well, they're picky and choosy about who they box because when they look at you, 12-0, 12, <laughs> 12 yeah. straight wins, they yeah. think, oh my God. Yeah, that's the thing. People can like, I don't like this part. I think there should be... Um there should be a bit more of a kind of a, a pathway towards, yes. uh, you know, a time frame and a pathway and guidelines to, to when you get to a title. Um, because when there's money involved, money seems to do the talking, more so than ability. Um, like, there's so many people ranked higher than me in the world right now. But that doesn't mean necessarily that they would beat me or they're better than me. It just means that you know that the manager, the managerial and promotional team that they have are getting them the right fights. Yes. And every time you fight, you get ranking points. Um, a lot of the guys with big ranking points are avoiding me. They don't want to fight me because yeah. they don't want to risk their record or you know they're they're trying to cover it up or pad it and whatever. But I keep just ploughing forward with the belief and and the hope that you know the universe will reward me for the hard work and you know that I'll get my that I'll get my break and my chance please God we are calling to the universe <laughs> today and I'm a great believer in that yeah. honestly Eric I've seen it in the past more and more uh, through life that if you mm. you know what I mean call out there it does for for good people and people with uh, the right intentions and ever everything like that it comes to them and mm. I I really hope it comes to you sooner rather than later Thank may you. I, may I say that. One thing I wanted to talk to you about, you know, in January, and now we're into early yeah. February, people are going mad after the Christmas, losing the weight and that. Yeah. You shed some weight between Christmas and this fight. What weight were you around just I did. I Christmas? was about, uh, just after Christmas, I was about 10 stone 8, and I weighed in at 9 stone 4 uh, just uh, last Friday. Yeah, so... How did yeah, you do that? Do you uh, deny yourself food or is it exercise? It's not that I deny myself food. I just bring the portions of food down and I bring all, I take out all of the sugary foods, all of the, the fatty foods. I just bring in the healthy fats and the protein, the nutrition, the veg. And um, I, I'm, I'm going from having a plate to a saucer. I'm bringing a, the portion size down from a plate to a saucer and I'm just trying to have three or four saucers of, of good nutritious meals a day. Um and I train extremely hard as well. So I'd burn an awful lot of calories. I would train 10 times a week. So 
uh, in the lead up yeah it's probably not ideal Christmas just came at the wrong time <laughs> for this fight you know how it is um, and I was probably just a, a little bit ill-disciplined around the Christmas when it came to the bit of chocolate and that but once I got Christmas out of the way I, I zoned in and, and I trained very hard and I was fully sacri- fully sacrificed and disciplined for the next five weeks mm, yeah it's a hell of a, a, a move down and wait to, yeah. to meet the weight for the for the uh, contest as well Um I take it since the weekend you've been enjoying a bit of. Oh, food. I have! I tell you, I have. <laughs> it's been so good. It's so good. Um, I don't know if anybody else has had tea cakes for breakfast and stuff like that, but <laughs> it's a great feeling. You know? <laughs> um, when you've really denied yourself yeah. for sure, yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now you said obviously you are when you take a lot of hitting the body and and you know your muscles all over. Mm. How do you um, recover from that? Do you ice baths do you what do you do or how do you yeah just let the body relax and rest like completely and then I go over maybe to the gym there I'm in the the gym plus there as well and I go over and have a nice jacuzzi there and maybe a sauna steam just relax and that just um, just like yeah just for relaxation purposes Um, and after about a week or so I get back into a little bit of light training again just keeping it ticking over and just watching weight and stuff like that you don't want to be going too out of shape Um, like when opportunity knocks you got to be ready you know what I mean and I I believe that luck is where opportunity um, luck is when opportunity meets oh what's the way to uh, luck is where I, I, I forget the quote I, no, I know this quote I, like I, it'll come back to you yeah. hold on hold on take your time there. relax <laughs> I know what you're trying to say would you believe it there's two of us here now I can't recall it Louise might check that out for us it's, it's look you start yeah. with is it when what look I have it Jerry look is when preparation meets opportunity thank you <laughs> Thank God you remembered because I was I just a, a complete blank here. Well done to you, Eric. You would but, think I got a few punches last weekend. I, I think so. I, we know you did. We know you did. <laughs> anyway, look, moving on from the boxing because you've been quoted widely uh, in the last twenty-four to forty-eight hours mm-hmm. uh, about you know we have a general election coming as mm-hmm. we know on Saturday, mm-hmm. and hopefully everyone will get out and vote because you must do that. I say it again: it's your democratic right. There are people Absolutely. all over this world yeah. who would just give their right arms left totally. arms to, to vote get out and vote that's the big thing yeah. but you've been quoted as saying that beyond the ring and of course you're thinking beyond this at the moment that um, perhaps that sphere of political or representing people would be in your bailiwick because your coach Kenny mm. Kenny Egan yeah. is, uh, has gone that road he's a local councillor in, yeah. in, in, in West Dublin there um, yeah. where did that come from did somebody pick up on something no I'll tell said? you what it was I was doing an interview last week for the fight and uh, we, we were just generally chatting about uh, the general election and stuff and uh, the my 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 good friend actually the journalist um he just threw it out to me Kevin Byrne he just said uh, so would you be interested in politics yourself you know and I said um, do you know what I haven't really thought about it much but I said it's it's probably something that I would I would I would consider um I said and maybe on a local level and I said like what kind of an area I'd like to you know put my shoulder to the wheel around would be would the youth you know and the youth and the mental health services for youth and um I'm very passionate about the youth's well-being and um you know their education and stuff like that because for me I didn't really like I go around I speak in schools I share a story about my own past and my own uh, kind of shortcomings and um, uh, failings and successes and everything just adversity and 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 
and I think the kids really respond to that very well. It's very impactful, and they need to hear that because I I think we were weird if 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 schools don't offer these educational workshops around mental health and the dangers of drugs and uh, you know gang violence and not having a, a structure or routine in their life these, like these are things that the kids need to hear it's a, you'd be doing them a disservice if they're not getting them you know if they're not getting these real people coming in and sharing their stories that's what they need not the old cliches like hey kids don't do drugs or whatever but they need to hear the true effects of what can happen with such choices and habits in your life the devastation that it will entail there is no fairy tale ending with this stuff you know what I mean like um, and it's not cool you know what I mean even though you might think it's cool it's actually it's actually much cooler to be uh, drug free and to be you know healthy and, and training and be um, uh, a part of com- positive things in the community be involved in sport be involved in, in groups or whatever other organisations are available like they need to. They need these type of role models, and they, I just think when I go in to share my story in in schools, I didn't have that luxury when I was going, and that's the first thing I say to students. I say, look, the reason I come to share this story with you is when I wish that I had somebody come and share with me what I'm going to share with you when when I was in school, and I didn't have that luxury, and the the impact that it has because I I it's a straight up honest from the heart talking and people it can resonate with a lot of a lot of young kids you know because they might have a similar background to me or you know living in a you know coming up growing up in a working class environment or a council estate or whatever so it really impacts them you know and sometimes afterwards I'll get a private message or a parent will contact me and just say like thank you so much you've had an amazing impact on my son or my daughter or whatever and you know you've helped them to kind of you know maybe make make a little change in their life and like for me that is absolutely priceless you I just, couldn't agree with yeah. you more and you, a story like yours mm. resonates mm. and you know it's real and you're a person mm. in front of these young people creating mm. you know an impression a real impression and I know the impression mm. you haven't continued to create with your work and long may that continue mm. I want to read a line from, because you dabble at poetry, (laughs) but I want to read a line from something you've written. It says, people are not equal and life isn't fair. You'll quickly realise there's inequality everywhere. Mm. How, when you look at the world, the world's Mm. unequal, inequal, you name it. And we have it here. You talk about on the ground. You're living up this neck of the woods now. I don't have to tell you what's been happening this last while. And a lot of that comes from inequality. How do you address this? It's a massive question. It it? is. It's a massive question. Like, and it's, um, it's hard to actually just pinpoint it. But if you do open your eyes, anyone with a, with a brain in their head at all, if you open your eyes, you can see that the massive divide in, in a lot of areas, even like when it comes to, you know, our most basic kind of right, our right to, to, uh, medical support medical health or you know health services in Ireland like you know depending on how much money you have will determine what kind of a health care you're going to get and you know for me sometimes I often think that I'm involved in a sport I'm self-employed I'm a fitness instructor and I do some fitness classes and do some like motivational and mental health workshops and that but um, there's not a lot of security in that and I'm a professional boxer as well so like I often think I'm, God forbid, you know, but touching wood, you know, a, a punch away from being on a cur, 
you know, one of those beds in the corridor in a hospital and hanging, you know, I mean, wait, waiting, waiting for hours upon hours or days to, you know, to get into a room. And so it is, it's, it's horrific. Uh, and it's sad. It is really sad because I think our most vulnerable sometimes, for me anyway, on a personal level, I think our most vulnerable are neglected at times and our most powerful are protected and that's not good no because how you help and support Mm. and be there as Mm. a people and a state for the weakest in society Mm. is a reflection really yeah not all this success or anything yeah of what you really are yeah yeah, and that's what you're saying. And yeah. that's it's 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 a big challenge, isn't it? It's a big challenge for you know we're going to have a, a new government of of whatever shade, and 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 yeah. there seems to be a a fair sea change happening. If you're to believe the There's a genuine appetite out there for change, like people mm. are not happy. Like you know, like to, to be honest, there's a lot of t- there's a lot of areas of society in a crisis at the moment. You know, the housing, the health, uh, you know, the the, the childcare and everything like that. But like. Whoever gets in anyways, even if there is a change, there is. I agree with you. There is a huge challenge ahead. There's a huge challenge ahead to kind of fix up a lot of these areas of of society. Um, But I think one of the best things you can do in life as as from one human being to another is, is... is if you can make a positive impact on another human being's life, you know that's that's a that's a huge thing, you know. And I think we need to look out for each other a little bit more. We need to be able to impact each other. Give someone a dig out. Give them a hand up. Do you know what I mean? Just really genuinely from a from, because you will be the, you'll feel better for it. And we all have something to offer. No, I mean every single one of us. We don't know everything, but everybody knows something, and we can all do something. Look, we all call to government all the time. And yes, there yeah. are, you know yourself, government have to support law and yeah. order, uh, yeah. disadvantaged communities, supports in there, yeah. etc. But you're a great believer in the power of one. Yeah. No, I just think like we can all offer, we all have something to offer. Genuinely believe that. We can all make an impact. Like there's probably a lot of people, I think, in most societies going around doing nothing, doing absolutely nothing, head bowed, feeling like they have nothing to offer. They might have done a bit of soccer as a kid or a bit of boxing or GA or whatever, but now they're doing nothing, they're not working, they're unemployed and they're just walking around the street. Someone like that needs to know if we can try and like maybe um, help them to discover the qualities that they have that to offer. Like, you know, the experience, it's not all in vain. It's like, Sometimes I feel like shaking some people, you know. I say, like, come on, come back to the club, give an hour, give two hours a week, you know, the, the impact you could have on the youth. And then, by doing that, you automatically feel good. There's no greater feeling than helping somebody. You know, you don't have to, it's a natural thing. to If you make an impact on somebody or help somebody, you will feel good. Even if you you know you don't have any expectation of you, you just naturally feel good. So I just feel like we need to we need to give more, give more, and you'll feel better for it in return. Like holistically, like you know, mental health wise and well being wise, you will feel good about yourself. So like the more you the more you give, the more you get. Can I ask you something? And and you've written about this and been quoted on it when, when you were growing up yourself mm. and. Uh, 
you, the boxing, yeah. you know, the boxing became yeah. the focus for you and yeah. that as well. But then, of course, when you reached an age, you talk about it, you were, yeah. you went on the beer and yeah. the girls appeared yeah. and things like this. And you had a real struggle, Eric, with, with, within yourself, you know. Yeah. And people would say, you know, it's great, get them into sport, mm. get them into boxing. And yet yeah. you were in and had that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I do. Yeah, but you see, Two I sides. was always searching for oblivion, like, because I. I, I struggled with my own I, I, I struggled with my mental health from a young age but I didn't realise it till I got older um, I would have had like I would have been searching for oblivion a lot of the times any time I had a bit of spare time I was always trying to escape from reality because I was I couldn't deal with Eric as a fully functioning human being I couldn't deal with my emotion I knew what, I knew what was going on or sorry, I didn't know what was going on. So the beer and the drugs and all that was masking tape. It covered over all the cracks. So when I got my, what would you say, SH1T together, I realised that, well, I had to ask myself, why, 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 do, why do people take drugs? Why do people drink too excessive? Like, you know, why do they do this? What, what is wrong with us or yourself as a person that you want to do this damage to yourself to escape from reality? So it goes back to that relationship we have with ourselves. Why is it that I wanted to escape from Eric all the time? And I say this to everybody, like the relationship, the longest relationship of your life is the relationship with yourself. And if you don't like yourself, can you imagine you're spending your whole life in a relationship with someone you don't like? So that's why it's important that we got to get into a good relationship with ourselves. And how can you get into a relationship with yourself if you're, doing you know in, in, intoxicating yourself and you know with alcohol or drugs or whatever so it comes back to that um, and I think uh, direction as well young kids are needing direction in life for me I, I was very lucky that I had the boxing club to fall back on every time it was a starting place for me again and we need to have positive things in our life. It doesn't matter. I'm a firm believer of sport. I'm an advocate of sports. And sports is excellent. But it doesn't even have to be competitive sport. It can be just gym work or whatever. There's something great and noble about putting your body through a bit of a fitness test. You feel automatically good about it. You know, the endorphins, releasing it off, letting off a bit of steam. You'll feel really good. I think young kids who have nothing to do outside of school, nothing to do at all, are not involved in any extra um, activities will gravitate towards other kids who have nothing to do. And when you have a bunch of kids, right, who have nothing to do, Jerry, trust me, they will find, they'll find something to do and it will normally be a negative thing. Do you know? Because that's just a natural thing. We all, we're, we're human, uh, we're human beings. We've got to be active. Like, that's what we, we do. So, yeah, my, I don't know. I'm kind of waffling on. No, 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 you're not. You're on point. But I just... No, you are on point. The way you describe that there is the way the drift happens. Yeah, because... And, 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 you know, it it really is. And, and, you know, within communities and that, those people you ask to step up to the mark. We have to hold on to my coach followed me. I left it more more times. I'm sick at the club. I'm sick at the boxing. I gave enough of my life to boxing. I'm only 15 years of age. (laughs) I gave enough of my life to boxing. I was saying, you know, but, but he followed me and never gave up on me and pursued me like, you know, because he believed that... I had some, and he held me up and believe he believed in me until I believed in myself. So what I'm saying is, so I know it can be a thankless job. A lot of volunteers out there involved in groups and communities and clubs and everything. But we can all do that little bit more. 
Look beyond yourself and look at the kid. Even if the kid is sending out all the wrong signals, oh, I don't want to be here, he's maybe misbehaving or whatever, you know, maybe just take it upon yourself to say, I'm going to give this lad a chance or this young girl a chance. Get, you know, if you can hold on to them for a while, give them a bit of encouragement, give them a bit of feedback, you know, try and point out some of the qualities and the gifts that they have because they might not be hearing that from home or anything, you don't know. And try and just instill a bit of belief in them and you never know. You just never know. Even if you do that with 50, if you got one person, all you need is one. If you made a difference in one person and help them to kind of see or take the, take, take the left instead of the right or take the right instead of the left, then, you know, you've, you've done your job. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to the point again that where resources and investment are needed mm-hmm. in people and communities, we need that as well to support the, the people mm-hmm. you're talking about yeah. who will do what, what you've just said. And of course, Dominic O'Rourke mm-hmm. was the man who, yeah, my who, coach, who stuck yeah. with you all yeah. the way. And you can talk from both. This is the great mm-hmm. thing about you, Eric yeah. Donovan. Yeah. You've seen both sides of this. Yeah. You've come back. Yeah. Y- you know, you've left that other side yeah. behind you. And yeah. look at you today. But I have to give back, Jerry, because it keeps, you know, I have yeah. to. It was given to me freely and I have to give it back freely because the thing is, you know, if I don't, I neglect, I, I'm I'm not honouring what was, you know, the, the time and the effort, the commitment that was put into me. And I say to kids as well, when I go to speak at secondary school schools as well, because the education system is set in a certain way, not everybody goes down the traditional route and not everybody is ready for it. So I say to kids, like most people won't, well, they probably won't get the points that they want to study a certain subject or whatever, but that's okay. It's no problem. It's not the, maybe in three or four years, you're going to be ready. You're not ready now. I went back into college at 27. I left school at 15. So, but it's, we, we all peak at different times. Now, ideally you would love people to go down, for everybody to go down the traditional, traditional route, but that's not possible. Because then there'd be just a big bottleneck and, Absolutely. you know, like if it, you wouldn't even be able to kind of uh, serve the demand or accommodate the demand. So for people like, I always say to young kids, there's a place for every single one of us. We just have to keep going until we find our place. Leave that thought there today. Listen, uh, I have to leave our conversation for the moment. I want to say to you again, congratulations on your win. Look forward to hearing when your next bout will be when that comes along. And may I say, in my eyes, since I've met you, you are a European champion. Because for the work you do, it's Mm. just marvellous, marvellous. Thank you very much. Keep on doing it and we'll see you soon. I want to say thanks to the people of Drada and Tully Allen for welcoming me in and getting behind me as well since I've moved here. So they've been a great, great support. I'm not surprised they've welcomed you. Eric Donovan, till the next time. Thank you very much. I believe that we are the solution to climate change, not government and business. It's people like you and me taking small steps to reduce our environmental impact that will bring about the changes we need to protect our world. Those are the words of a lady I spoke to by phone a few weeks ago. She's in studio with me today and I'm delighted to welcome to the show the founder of Eco-Conscious Living, Paula Butler. Welcome to Late Lunch. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me on the show this afternoon. Now, there are so many areas we could flit in and out of as regards our, they call it a carbon footprint or whatever you like to say, for each one of us. But today, 
you have decided, along with ourselves, and I'm delighted about this, to concentrate on two areas, decluttering and green cleaning. And that green cleaning is a passion of mine, I have to say. But look at decluttering. Here we are, early part of the year as well. And generally, Paula, people go and they uh, they have a go at, you know, going into the press. Let's start in the kitchen and looking at all the foods they have there. Yes, and like it can be overwhelming. It can be so overwhelming when you go to your cupboards and there's tons and tons of stuff. And so, you know, it, it's about trying to, um, well, first of all, th- to think about it as not losing things. It's about, you know, bringing the stuff that you really value to the fore. So a lot of the time you can't even see your favourite food in the cupboard or the fridge because there's so much other clutter around it. So it's getting rid of that clutter. And, you know, when you talk about your fridges and your, your um, store cupboard is like not stockpiling stuff. Because often, I don't know where we think we're living but sometimes like I was inclined to do that myself and it was one of the first things that I did was to really kind of look at the house and question like why do I have so much stuff in my house and do I really need all this stuff and as I started to kind of go about decluttering it very much, I became very aware of like um, myself as a consumer and before I bought anything else, I mean, I'd gone to loads of effort to declutter my cupboards. I wasn't about to just fill them back up again. Yes. So you become um, a very conscientious and a more aware when you're buying things to really ask yourself, do I really need this? You know, do I have something at home that I could use instead? So that should be to the forefront of our minds as we go shopping. First of all, groceries where we intend to go you know these three for one offers this type of thing that stare at you off the shelves and people go for them and they bring them home stuff them in the cupboards and then like me a few years later what exactly, exactly. Did I buy that for? And I mean, a lot of the time, what I what I try to do, and I have two kids, I have family to feed, and I work as well, so life is busy. And that's often when we tr- we find ourselves buying things on the fly. That's when we tend to buy the wrong stuff or too much. Um, so I try to, and I don't always, but when I do, I'm always very happy on a Sunday night. Plan out even Monday to Thursday. What are we going to eat? And then when you're at home and you're kind of more relaxed, you can go and look in your cupboards and see, well, what do I have? Or do of anything in the fridge that needs to be used up and that will save you um, well save you a lot of stress during the week <laughs> Do you know what I'm thinking my own wife actually uh, uh, last week presented on, on the kitchen counter to me quite an array of foods that were a long time out of date and not that long out of date as well but it's amazing it brought it home to me you know multiple buying coconut milk oh Paula yeah. I think I could supply a Chinese <laughs> for, a, for a night anyway with the amount of coconut milk yeah. I had but you know what I'm saying like uh, uh, it brings it home to you when you see something like that. Yes, it does. And and you have to kind of, you're faced with the waste of money as yes. well as the waste of the food. Yeah. You know, um, and a lot of the time it is because you just, you know, you thought you'd do a curry tonight and you assumed you didn't have any coconut milk because it's buried at the back of the cupboard behind all the other cans. Um, so that is a lot of the decluttering. The purpose is to reveal what's there. Yes. Rationalise um, and to, you know, check if things are really out of date. I mean, I would often, I have eaten lots of stuff that's well out of date I open it and I smell it and I taste it and if it's okay I mean especially when it comes to things like um, you know rice or pasta or food that's not going to kill you now when it comes to things like you know um, meat and everything you've got to be a lot yes. more careful yeah. but a lot of the dry goods that are in your cupboard you can use them oh, beyond well, sorry, the I day. have used them well past the day I'm still here <laughs> alive and well and looking great yeah. may I say as well honey was one that was on the desk uh, there yeah. was a manuka honey there I must have got it years ago I think yeah. it was back to 2016 or something yeah. 
But I honestly think it looks fine. I... Yeah, and it's, it's perfect I think it's it? usable yes yeah. I'm still but here sure, today they used honey years back to preserve food, so there you are you know so I mean certainly honey is something that I don't I mean really does it ever go out of date no it probably and it, doesn't and even a jam like I'd often you know you know scrape off a bit of mould on the top and eat on the it's like certainly fine perfect um, but come back to the point you make there I want to get into specifics how often would you say you should do what you say uh, have a, a declutter let's talk about the, all the cupboards in mm. the kitchen should you do that once every year, once every six months, bring everything out and then put to the fore what you should yeah. be using? Is that what you're suggesting? How frequently? Yeah, now I think the main thing here is to do a really proper job once. Um, because I think if you, like, a lot of the time what we, when we say decluttering, what we actually mean is reorganising. <laughs> and, you know, you really, you kind of resist getting rid of stuff because you have to face the fact that you've wasted your money. But I, my view on it is just accept that, okay? You, okay, and maybe make better decisions in future. Learn from that but you have to get past that and then I think once you've actually done a proper declutter of anything so for example we had a big junk drawer I think every every house in the country Absolutely. has one but I did a proper job on it and I really decluttered it and it now gives me pleasure when I go to it because and I mean and now every so often I might it might start to build up again and I just you know clear it out again. It again but it's it's really doing a deep declutter to get rid of all that extra stuff so that you can see what you what you have even and then start to use that yeah. and be meticulous I, I think a list is a good idea in the kitchen to write down if you see you need something yes absolutely I do that myself the old list yeah. the old list yeah. it's still important yeah, so it is, is. so yeah. one big declutter get yourself organised mm-hmm. then be conscious when you go shopping don't overbuy and keep it to a manageable and practical level exactly and even in your fridge you know um, and freezer like the freezer is another area that is like you know uh, people are afraid to even look in it I mean the the key thing is to label everything you think that when you're putting in a little you know a pot of something that you'll remember what's in it and then you know six months later you're looking at it going what on earth is that and it has to go in the bin then because you don't even know what it is so the labelling of food as you put it in the freezer very good tip in the freezer oh absolutely label and date everything okay so and then you, know. you know what it is and you know how long it's been there um and you know if it's safe to eat it or mm. not and i take the fridge weekly on a weekly basis you have to run through the fridge and hopefully you've used all your vegetables uh, and ex- drank your milk exactly. and you were saying something to me about milk just mention that for a moment yes yes well i mean i have as again we have the kids and we drink a lot of milk um and often you know we'd see like this morning even i bought milk yesterday but it was dated the fourth and the boys are like oh it's you know only the fourth i said that'll be fine for the next few days. I mean, often I've used milk. Once you store it properly, keep it in the fridge. Don't leave it out on the table after, you know, you've had your breakfast or whatever. Um, I think if you store it correctly, it'll last a lot longer. And you'll know if it's off. Absolutely. Very easily. And a little sip on the tongue won't kill anybody. Mm. It never has. There's actually good uh, probably antibodies in it as well. So let's say you've talked extensively about the freezer, the fridge, the cupboards in the kitchen. Now, the next big one. All the clobber in the wardrobes. Let's go to the bedrooms and the storage of clothes there. What's your modus operandi there? How do you work? Again, like I think for people attacking your wardrobe is can be very overwhelming and a lot of people talk about the Marie method which is very thorough and everything but personally for me it's overwhelming because you've got to take every single thing out of your cupboard that means you've got to put aside a half day or a day and it's also actually exhausting you know so my my way of doing it what I first did was I took out all the clothes that I wasn't wearing 
and I took them out of my uh, wardrobe. So I could then see, well, what do I really have? What do I really love? And then every so often, if I thought, well, I'm getting a bit bored with my clothes, I go up to my 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 stash of clothes that I'd packed away and I kind of go shopping in in my stash upstairs and I'd bring down a couple of um, tops let's say when the kids are going to sleep and I'd try them on and then I'd either go this is why I never wore it because it's itchy or this is why I bought it because actually they're beautiful trousers when you put them on and I kind of either enjoyed my clothes again or else made the decision I don't want that it doesn't suit me or I don't like wearing it and then I pass them on to somebody else Um, my preference would be to give them to other people before going to charity shops because a lot of charity shops the clothes end up in the landfill that's the reality of it really a lot of them Mm. they do so you know if you give it to somebody else to use or if it's a piece that you spent money on you can sell it in some of the consignment shops there's brilliant second hand shops out there and that's a great way then when you have rational your wardrobe to start thinking about secondhand um, clothes. So that's interesting. It's a sort of a two-step process for you, rather than what I do once a year. I charge in, pull everything out, and head for charity. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you're better saying that you actually don't be as impulsive. Pack it away somewhere, just put it aside, and then go to it yeah. periodically. Yes, because, you know, you've invested a lot of money and time, even time finding these clothes, Mm. money to buy them. And then you're keeping them, washing them, storing them. Um, So often, um, you know, you can rediscover clothes that, you you know, you maybe just got sick of. Um, And also when you've really rationalised your wardrobe and you have a small wardrobe, it's not so hard to get dressed in the morning. There aren't so many choices to be made. So, you know, there's like you've got a few pairs of trousers you like and whatever, and you get dressed much quicker and there's no anxiety and there's no, you know, it's, it's much simpler process, especially for a woman, I think maybe what that's more of an issue. Yeah, well, I tell you, let me speak for the males of yeah. the species as well. It's a great feeling as well when you do yeah. that. You know, you operate, I think, far better when you yes. just have yes. what you want Absolutely. there with you and you wear it and uh, into the wash it goes and back in again. Absolutely. I mean, I had the same experience with the with the children's toys. Uh, that was a big area. I mean, that's a huge area of clutter for families. Toys, oh, and massive. I I packed away a lot of their toys and I put them into the garage and so in our living area I only had one box went, got it down to one box of toys and they played much more I was astounded you know there they were like rummaging through this one box because they used to come in and they were overwhelmed and they wouldn't even go near the toys So less is more when it comes to toys. Stay with us on Late Lunch. Paula Butler's with us on Late Lunch. I want to get on to the green cleaning because you've brought some products here with you today. But just before you do, will you talk about one area of declutter, one massive area? That space above the bedrooms, if you're in a bungalow just above your head or two-storey above the attic. Oh, God. What do you do there? Well, I suppose I don't actually have an attic, but I have a garage. And if you don't have an attic, you use your garage. So yes, we all have these glory holes. Yes. And they could be under the stairs or wherever. Um, again, like, I mean, I think the best approach for me is to take a piecemeal and to take one box down at a time and just go through it. A lot of the time what you'll have in your attic are sentimental things. You might have photographs and like, oh, I mean, to go through photographs, I still have a box that I still have to go through because you take out a packet of photographs to go through and like... You know, they're easy to go through because often, you know, it was film camera for me anyway. And, you know, a lot of them are rubbish, but it's emotional, you know, brings up lots of memories and you can't do too much of that, you know. So I do it uh, piecemeal and I sometimes I just take down one box and I do go through one box and, um, you know, really concentrate on doing 
deep declutter on one box and then so another. So keep what you really want when it comes to photographs, the special ones. Yeah, there's loads of them out of focus and things like that. They can go. Yeah, and you can also, um, you can digitally store them now. Yes. You know, you can, um, you know that's a good idea for yeah. photographs. And books is another area people really struggle with getting rid of books. And, and the thing is, if you're a book lover, it's okay to have a big book collection. That's great. What we really are trying to get rid of is the stuff that is, is swamping out your space and, you know, the, the noise in your life. It's to clear that away and keep the stuff that you love and really display your books if you love them. Bring them all down from the attic and put them all on the wall, you know? I'm a great believer of actually passing on. I have, as you said, I have a collection of books for my hobbies and, and yeah. other ones that I've read in life that I will not part with. I yes. keep those. Yeah. But I did a big job last year again and I went and I gave them to people I knew. I wanted to pass on the joy Which of reading lovely. to somebody yeah. else. But there's yeah. nothing wrong. As Paula says, yeah. if you love your book collection, look, just sort it out a little bit. Ha- want to move on to the cleaning because this is what we're going to talk about today because I remember the last day we talked mm. on the phone and I said to you those bottles of yellow bleach and stuff like that oh my god the damage they do is oh, yeah. to life in general yeah. and, the, and the planet now you have brought a, a few bottles in a, yeah. a little basket which you have today what have you got? So this is my really simplified green cleaning kit that I use at home. Now, I, I did a lot of research online. If, if you Google green cleaning, you'll have loads of websites telling you how to do lots of different concoctions. So I have got it down to a really simple system that works for me and does like 95% of the cleaning in the house. This is all I use. So what I have is I have a disinfectant which is pure vinegar, like your spirit vinegar that you buy. I try and buy it in a glass bottle. If you go to any of the Polish shops, you can get it in a glass bottle. And then I steep it with orange peel um, for like a week or two weeks to just take that really chip shop smell off it and I might put in some orange essence into it and then that's my disinfectant so I use that neat as a disinfectant and then I dilute that so I take a cup of uh, a half cup of vinegar and a half cup of water to make a glass cleaner so that's two out of my three bottles already yeah and then my my uh, my third bottle, which is my favourite, is the multi-purpose cleaner, um, which I basically use on everything. It is based on Castile soap, which I brought along. I don't know if you recognise that, but it's a it's a natural soap. <laughs> Show me it. Um, I, wa- I want to bring back memories. It's a, I want oh, to yeah? bring back memories. Can I have a... Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I guess I remember yeah, it from good. years ago. Look at here. It's in liquid form. It's here. liquid yeah. soap. And yes. it's Castile soap. It's made from olive oil. It's a, and it's biodegradable. Um, the one that you normally see is that brand there, Dr. Bronner's, which is available in lots of the f- health food shops. Um, and it's expensive, but you only use a tablespoon of that to a cup of water. And that's all you need. Like b- basically, I wash all the um, surfaces in the house. I use the multi-purpose cleaner then with some baking soda, um, like bread soda, bicarbonate of soda. Yes. Um, you know, you can just sprinkle that onto um, your... Um, baths or sinks and use it with the multi-purpose cleaner and it kind of makes like um, a paste like sif you know yeah, yeah. and then you just wash it off and it cleans the bathrooms really well and what about the toilet bowl what, it, it, is that's, that covered yeah, yeah with that's these what here. I would use I'd yeah. use the disinfectant and I would use the multi-purpose cleaner just spray it on um I also, well, you know, what what does happen after a while when you're using this in your toilet bowls, you know, you get that kind of brown scaliness at the bottom. What I use for that are the tablets that people use for their dentures to whiten dentures. So I reckon, I mean, I don't know what the exact ingredients are, but if you're able to put it in your mouth, I reckon it's far less toxic. And it's so effective. I'll tell you. It's if you can effective. put it in your mouth, it'll mind it'll your bum bum. Ro- yes, it will. <laughs> it won't don't hurt worry the fish. It won't kill the yes. fish. Um, so that's what I use um, 
because uh, you know the, you know because it is a gentler type of thing. But I you know don't use bleach anymore. Um, and again, what I did um, to start with this was because again, like people spend a lot of money. I mean, if you do a, um, a big shop and you've got all your cleaning chemicals in it, that's when it's really expensive. You know, so you've spent a lot of money on these. I packed them all into a big box and put them out in the garage, and I switched to this because I kind of wanted to make myself use this. Yeah. But again, I didn't want to just, you know, ditch the chemicals. Um, so and then once I was using this for a while and I was happy with it, I actually gave the, the stuff away to my mum, my sister and people who were still using, you know, and things yes. like oven cleaner. I don't use oven cleaner anymore. It's the most toxic thing. I mean, I, I mean, it just defies reason to me that, you know, you spray this toxic stuff into your oven, you know, holding your mouth just as you are in your nose. Because we, it yeah. happened with us the weekend and, and Miriam was going around with gloves in her and a mask ah. and... And, then, and, yeah. and putting these trays into these uh, plastic uh, covers with okay, stuff overnight. Okay. And then this stuff went into the oven and she ordered everybody, don't come near the house this afternoon. <laughs> like, isn't that crazy? And then, be and then the following and, day... Skull and bones <laughs> well, on the Well, there are door. on, the backs, of, on yes. the backs of the bottle. And the next day, then you're putting your Sunday roast in. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So I, I was delighted. What do you clean the oven with? Well, Which I use the baking, the baking soda. I, I, I sprinkle the baking soda on and I use a bit of the multi, multi-purpose cleaner and I like use a scouring. And like, that will steel clean wool. your oven? It will. And like, I mean, you have to keep on top of it, you know. I mean, if it were like, you know, I, I do keep cleaning it. Um, you know, when I cook a fry or something like that, I would make sure to yes. clean it off. So it doesn't get really, you know awful yeah. but I find it works just as well and your house is tip top clean no issues with this ever this does well there's nothing on the label or does what it says in the tin because there's no <laughs> tins there's bottles and there's no label yeah. because you make this up yourself you are how long are you doing this how long have you, have um, you employed about this about two and a half years so by yeah. by God you've given it a hell I of a try given a good test run haven't and, you and, it's, and also um, the other thing is that like this is great for like m- most people's houses who are you know cleaning as you go kind of thing now um, if you had, uh, if you're moving into a, an apartment that had been hadn't been cleaned for two years, okay, it might be time to bring out the big guns, and that's fine. Again, it's not. I mean, my whole approach to this is not to say I'll never use another, you know, bit of bleach ever again in my life. But I am using this like 95 percent of the time, so I'm massively reducing my environmental impact. Even if you just took on the multi-purpose cleaner, you would eliminate so many of the bottles that you have. Um, and again, people are storing them up high out of their pets' ways, out of their children's way, because they're all full of toxic chemicals. So there's that element as well, that this is a much safer way to clean your house. Um, you know, reducing the toxins that you're breathing uh, in. Sir? Lutely, mm. I'm with you all the way. And the bottles you have there, you can buy those with I the bought, spray tops yeah, on I them. Yeah, I bought those there. I bought those on Amazon, but you can yeah. get them anywhere. Glass and bottle. You, and like the, my first uh, Mark One of my green cleaning kit was just repurposed, um, you know, bottles that I had from you know yes. that were used up, and they're perfectly fine. You don't need to go. I mean, I go around talking to people, so I got nice bottles so that it looks nice and attractive. But this is not necessary. You can just repurpose an old windowline bottle or whatever you have. And you've presented me with a little gift on your visit today and I absolutely love it. Explain yeah. to listeners what you've left here for me. So this is um, a wooden dish dish brush um, and it's to replace your kind of 
your ugly plastic dish brushes that are in every house in the country and it's beautifully made and it's got it's made of metal as well and the head of the brush is wooden with um with uh you know the brush part but when that gets a bit old you can remove the brush and it can just go in your home compost or the brown bin and you can buy a replacement um top and you keep the handle so i have one now i've had it for over three years still going strong it's lovely yeah and it's really sweet it's really natural it's timber a little bit of metal and the head that comes on and off really yeah. And it's a lovely, listen to that. You can hear yeah, the scrub off that there. Yeah. It's quite effective. Yeah. On. And it just looks so much nicer. It's yeah. much, yeah. much nicer. Yeah. And it's very friendly. It yeah. really is eco-friendly. Thank you so much indeed. Yeah, I'll treasure this. <laughs> I really will. Yeah. But look, in, in a general sense, you see the um, concoctions you have or the mixes you have mm. in the bottles there and that. Where can people find out? Are these on your website too? Yeah, it's all on my website, ecoconsciouslivingie I've got all the recipes up there and I can, you know, give you can, notes to we, you. Yeah, as we'll well get them as well and them. we can post them for yeah, people. Perfect. It's quite it's very easy to do and there's just a few like simple things that to be careful of, like with vinegar on marble and stuff, you know, just yeah. it is acidic. That's why it's so effective as a disinfectant. So there's a few things you just need to be careful of not to use it on marble mm. and stuff. So that's uh we we did a good bit on decluttering today. God, we could keep going on because yeah. we, we did touch on most areas of the house. But yeah. of course, there is the bedroom there as well. You have the bathroom, things like that. But the big areas we did cover off and the main cleaning areas. Do you, when, when you think about this, what we've talked about today, if we all make simple changes like this, as you say in your, you know, it, this is what yeah. you are yes. about. Yeah. We will make the big change ultimately. Oh, well, absolutely. Because I think when if you make small changes and even if you're asking questions when you go to the supermarket, like, well, I don't want this plastic wrap, that message goes back to, to the manufacturing industry and it will change and we will be, ha- we'll find it much easier to get good products. So you do have to, by, by kind of making good decisions when you're purchasing new things, you um, support the more sustainable products and that's a big help and every little step that each person takes is a step in the right direction. I've loved our chat today, I have to say. It's great to meet you and to have you here with us and talk at the way you talk so passionately and sensibly about decluttering and green cleaning. There are more areas. We'll come back to them again if that's okay with you. But if you want to find out more about Paula Butler because she works with industry, she works with individuals as well. It's ecoconsciousliving.ie. Ecoconsciousliving.ie. Thank you for dropping in to Late Lunch. Thanks for having me. You're doing great work. You (laughs) really are. Thanks, Paula. From the streets of Calcutta to the streets of Trim. Big, uh, big const, const, what would you say? There's a, a big contrast there between the two. Via NASA with a bit of Oprah thrown in. Maria Reardon has quite a diverse career. I'm delighted to welcome a new member of Forbes Communication Council and head of media for prepaid financial services, Maria Reardon, to the show. Maria, very welcome. Ah, oh, Jerry, thank you so much. You know how to do an opener, don't you? Well, well, <laughs> with a little bit of a stumble, but Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, you're so welcome. I'm delighted Thank to you. have you with us this afternoon because you are such an interesting lady. Will you tell us first, where do you come from in Ireland? Originally from uh, the middle of nowhere in County Limerick. So I would have played Ga with Croke Kilfinney um, Adair in, uh, in County Limerick. So, uh, yeah, I'm from, from a tiny little place called Croke. Blink and you miss it. 
Um, and outside that again, so so a country girl uh, and people would pass a dare, uh, especially going to, to Tralee or Killarney. Yes. And after that again, you've got Croke. And after that again, you've got the O'Reardons. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very rural. <laughs> we have you pinpointed for okay. sure. What about the family? How many were in, how many children in your family? I'm the eldest of four. Right. So the, there's myself and, and my brother were Irish twins. Um, so my parents had two and two. Uh, and then uh, and another two sisters. Uh, and Because I often ask my mum and dad, how? Oh, did you manage four children? And they said because we did two and two. <laughs> so, and my brother now actually um, has just had his fourth. Uh, he is a seven-year-old. Um, uh, Ashling would be uh, five and a three-year-old and a nine-month-old. So he has four now as well himself. That's a busy household for yeah. sure. From a very young age, they say around about ten months, they could see in you that there was an intelligence there that was different. Well, there was certainly something different. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I think certainly uh, when you allude to something, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about the spectrum, but but I think think grandparents are, are often the first to notice that there may perhaps be something um, different with, with, with a young child. And, and, and certainly, you know, I, I was clocked from very young that there was, there was something going on here. Um, I, would have, I would have gravitated um, towards numbers and words and books from, from toddler stage, from, from pre-toddler stage even. Um, and, I, you know, I, looking back, I wish I had known that I had done something wrong uh, because I think my life would have been a little easier when I was younger if, if I hadn't been so... Um, nerdy or, or, or into 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 the encyclopedias yeah, <laughs> and the calculators. I, mean, I know what you're getting at because children of intelligence you know at times life is a real struggle for them. Um, it, it's like you know people talk about intelligence I mean, I mean you know IQ is only a number um, I, I just want to be the same as everyone else and, and when you get pigeonholed from a young age it's very very difficult. It must be. It it's must very hard. Be. It's very hard. What's your IQ? I actually have never spoken about it publicly because my family asked me not to. Because at the end of the day, it's only a number. Uh, to me... Uh, but it's a high number. It, it's a number. Marie, yeah. It's, it's, it's a number. It's, it's, to me, it's irrelevant. To me, okay. to, to me, it's a number. But, but out of respect to my family, they, That's okay. they, they, they did okay. ask me not to talk but about I just, it. But <laughs> I, I just take it that it's a high number. And, you know, with all you've been talking about uh, the last few moments and what we're going to talk about, you'll understand why. You have a photographic memory. Yeah, eidetic memory, which is a profound photographic memory and profound auditory recall. Um, and that would have been copped from, from when I was a very young child. So you can look at something and bang, it's there. You have it. Yeah, it, it's, it, I suppose it's hard to try and explain it. But, but it's, when it's photographic, it's like if, if I'm scanning a newspaper, I can take a look and I can go away from it. And I can bring it up in my head and I make it bigger, like like you're looking at a phone, you're making the picture bigger and I can scroll back in it or I can go back in a conversation. So it's it's like a, a forward and rewind with your memory. Um, and as I get older, I've developed techniques to, to become more efficient at storing the memory that, that I've learned over the years. And we thought that was just the remit of a computer. Well, I, I would never compare myself to, to something. No, but like you that. have you have something. You really have something that's special and unique to uh, a small number of people, really, in this world. At fourteen, national TV, fifteen, award-winning short filmmaker, and mm. you know, you were making waves from a very young age in this 
business. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, media would have started off on radio actually at 13. Did you? Uh, TV, jumped into TV at 14, award-winning national filmmaker, 15. And uh, and I, I got a chance, I actually studied journalism and radio um, uh, in college um, and started started working in my broadcasting career very, very young. But but I think it's one of the traits. I mean, you know, I'll hop, skip and jump on a, and, and, and try to avoid it. But at the end of the day, you know, a child born as a servant um, is technically on the autism spectrum. Um, and 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 that's that can be a, that can be a huge stigma um, for people. And, and I know there's been a lot of publicity around autism in recent days, in recent weeks. Senator Catherine Noon, <laughs> on the shock, Leo. Yes, my world has. But seriously, do you consider that you are on the spectrum somewhere? Uh, well, well, I have a formal diagnosis, so yes. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I believe that the only way you know if someone's autistic is if they have a formal diagnosis and you can't elude or hint or retreat. It doesn't mean that you're that you're autistic. Um, but I, I decided to, to talk publicly about being on the spectrum. Um, there's not a lot known about um, Savant or Savant syndrome. Um, there's very few women in the world with it. And I feel a responsibility to the community um, to, to lead a good life and be a good example and see that, yes, I had huge challenges as a young child that I overcame um, you know sensory processing disorder I was a problem solver from a very young age to cope with that in life um, developmental coordination disorder I you know I had coping mechanisms from a very young child to be able to deal with that in life sensory integration therapy I struggled to walk I struggled to talk I struggled to use a knife and fork I struggled with buttons I struggled with zips I struggled to tie my shoelace I struggled to use a knife and fork, as I said. I mean, but but somehow I learned to overcome challenges as a kid uh, and I'm high functioning and I've actually lived a beautiful, normal life. Isn't that hard to reconcile? You've talked about the basics or fundamentals of growing up. Yeah. On one hand, and yet on the other hand, here you are, this brilliant person on radio at 13, television at 14, award-winning documentary maker at 15, photographic memory and what you've gone on to achieve in many aspects of life since. It's interesting. I think there is a contradiction. And, and I, the more we learn about autism, the, the more we see that contradiction. I mean, mentally, I never had the issue. Uh, I was always very strong in my mind. When I was a kid, I actually thought if I could just live in my head, it would be so much easier than trying to figure out this body. Um, but but I was able to, you know, have physical therapy, some surgery, occupational therapy, sensory integration therapy. And, and was I behind? I was way behind. And I was also tiny and I was, uh, my, my physically, I was, I was underdeveloped. I, I eventually started to grow like mad at 17 and I, I did a sprout again at 21. And now I'm actually five foot ten and I can't believe it because I was so tiny. <laughs> but, um, but, but that's the thing. I mean, you know, the, the, the physical challenges that I overcame, uh, people will never know how hard it was. Mm. But look at on you go and stock market trading. We'll have to get a few tips off her. Um, <laughs> you know, five books on personal development involved with that became number one bestsellers in the world. You know, volunteering in French hospital first in Africa, awarded, f- receiving a big award in the Middle East, you know, for your contribution to mankind as well. My word, like, what a CV. 
Uh, well, you know, I, I feel like I'm only getting started at 44, to be honest with you. Um, there's, there's an awful lot more that, that I want to do. And, you know, being involved in a company like PFS and having just such visionary founders like, uh, you know, Noel Morn, for, for, for goodness sake, uh, and Valerie Morn, they are such an inspiration mm. every day. Mm. Um, I get to I get to work with a fintech that's a huge employer um, locally. Um, really making waves around the world. Actually, this is a milestone right now. This is the 8,800th interview since I started at PFS. So thank you for that milestone. And Noel and Valerie actually have a beautiful milestone in Navin today because they have 60 employees in Ecom Merchant Solutions and Ecom, which is not just operating in Ireland, but across Europe. And uh, it's celebrating its sixth birthday today. So a couple of milestones for I you. I feel like breaking into a verse of happy <laughs> birthday for the morns. You can honest, if you like, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the other thing. So 8,800 yeah. this is uh, the, for the, you today. Yeah, yes. And you are, I was just having a look at this, the 10,337th most famous person in the world. Um, That's I, out of billions. <laughs> you know, that's out of billions. <laughs> What do you make it's of that scary. figure? 10,337. I think I hung around with the too many actors in America at one stage. <laughs> maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But look, there you are. That's what it says anyway. Look, coming back to, you know, where you've been and you have worked with the great and good and those who really don't have a voice for themselves, the underdog. You've worked at both ends of the mm. scale and in between as well. Mm. You're a great champion and regarded as a champion of the underdog in life. I'm I'm talking about, you know, you talked about the autism there for a moment, Mm -hmm. the challenges you faced growing up as a child as well. One thing that uh, pops out at me is the LGBT uh, cause. And you are gay. You're a gay woman. Mm -hmm. Um, When did you realise you were gay? I was probably four. Um, Hold on. (laughs) Did you say four? Yeah. Yeah. I never really had to come out. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was very, very young. It was, it was, you know, when 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 you're in national school and 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 you know the the boys and the girls are talking. Oh, I want to grow up and I want to get married and and I I, I had that kind of I, that vision of what was on the telly or whatever. But it, it was never the traditional. Um, view I suppose uh, and if, if I'm really honest about it I think I think it started really young not not that I, I, I consciously would have known yes. or, and I wouldn't have known anyone as a four year old yes absolutely yes. not and um, but yeah it was certainly a journey for me when I was younger and, and, and definitely my family knew before I did <laughs> or so they tell me now but um, but you know I think the reason why I've championed underdogs in my life is because I am one um, not only was I uh, a kid on the autism spectrum, but I was also a gay kid. Um, and, you know, it's one thing to be gay, but it's one, another thing to be gay and autistic. So that's that's a tough one in itself. Um, so it was a very interesting road when I was younger. Look at the transformation in society and in this country. You've been an Irish woman yourself from mm. Limerick originally, and yeah. you've been away and, you know, you've travelled the world. You have a lot of life experience as well. Do you feel that, it's come a long way today, you know, or is there more, a lot done, a lot more to do? How do you feel in a general sense? I think certainly we, we've we've moved mountains in a short um, space of time. We, we still have a bit to go. I mean, it would be lovely if I could walk down the street in Dublin city centre on a Saturday and not have abuse hurled at me. Um, yeah, I do, Does that know, happen? It does, yeah, still. Yeah, yeah. It actually got worse after the referendum. Not better for me. Um, so, so, People randomly just yeah, select just, you. Yeah. How do they know? It, 
well, it's it's a bit like it's a bit like people assuming someone's autistic. It's a bit like someone assuming you're gay. Um, they 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 some people feel that they can um, they can just target you, uh, a, a random person they don't know on the street. It saddens me. You know, so so we we do have a bit to go, uh, but so much has happened. And look at a company like PFS. Diversity and inclusion is so huge. Fifty seven percent of the staff on the company, we're almost hitting two hundred staff now, are women. Forty three percent of the staff are ethnic minorities. Um, you know, I'm I'm yes, I I love to speak out about LGBT um, and autism friendly companies. But when you look in society right now as well, you've got PFS prepaid financial services and Trim. We've just moved to Trim. We've got a, a hundred and thirty people there now and um when 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 you think about it pfs is 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 lgbt friendly and autism friendly 168 hours a week every hour of every day okay and then you've got you know we'll say supermarkets in ireland and they're autism friendly for two hours a week and we have such um a long way to go when it comes to minority issues in this mm, country. And, and while it's fantastic, and, and personally I don't need um, autism-friendly shopping myself, I can manage, I've, I've built up coping mechanisms over the years, but so many families in the area do. Um, and not a week goes by when a family with either um, a gay child or an autistic child, they contact me to ask me questions about how I've managed in life. And I feel a responsibility to both communities. If I don't ask you this question, I'll not be let out of the building oh, this evening. Guess. You know what's coming now. <laughs> you do know what's coming. Maria Reardon was the last, the final interview, St. Teresa, she was known as Mother Teresa, ever did before she passed away. The last interview was with you. Yeah, it was, it was back in, in, wow, 1997 in, uh, in, in her home in Motherhouse in, in Calcutta, India. It, it was funny because uh, my, my first inkling towards a challenger like, like PFS would have been back in 1997, I came up with, uh, with an idea for a project in the slums um, in, in Calcutta. And I went to two of the traditional banks and they both uh, turned me down for a personal loan. And then I went to the local credit union and Go, go, go. I literally walked out of there with a yes. Um, so so th- that's when my love of, of challengers started. And um, I had been um, volunteering and working and making a documentary in the slums of Calcutta. Now, Jerry, heart-wrenching stuff. I would keep it together all day, every day, and I would get back to where I was staying in the accommodation and I would bawl my eyes out at night. Unbelievable. Um, volunteering in in clinics where every child was living with HIV, um, volunteering where people were living with leprosy and seeing leprosy for the first time, and the dire poverty um, in the slums of Calcutta. You 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 cannot comprehend, um, and the lack of sanitation at that time for a city the size of Limerick to have 20 million people squashed into it with no proper sanitation. So as soon as you land um, from the aircraft and they, they decompress or they, or they open the doors, the stench that hits you and stays with you and is stuck on your nostrils for a month is quite unbelievable. Mother Teresa wasn't even um, in the country when I started the documentary. She was actually in, um, in New York with uh, Princess Diana and you know they died a week apart that's right and then she flew back to India and I was walking down the street one morning and 
lo and behold, I bumped into an Irish nun. Now, I was sticking out like a sore thumb because I was probably the only, you know, white female she had seen on the road for quite a while. And uh, we sparked up a conversation and it was very informal. And she just said, can you meet me? at short down address. She said, can you meet me at the address tomorrow morning? So I was, that's fine. And I was flying back um, after that day. I was flying back after that. And uh, so I, I, I turned up at this door and I realised, oh, interesting. Right. This looks like a, 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 a religious house or something. Uh, and I went in and, said, and, and she met me and she said, do you mind sitting over here? Uh, and I went, that's fine. Uh, and she said, would you like to join us for the service? And I went, absolutely. So I sat down here and the next thing, you know your perish- peripheral vision and, and you see something on the corner of your eye. And I would have been seven years of age for my first history class in Croke National School in County Limerick. The first person I ever learned about in history class was Mother Teresa. And here was Mother Teresa being wheeled in to sit beside me with an oxygen mask on and her nurse and in a wheelchair. And there was a service and afterwards uh, the nuns asked if I would wait out um, on a ledge for a half an hour. Uh, and I did so. And uh, one of the nuns went up and explained I was making a documentary uh, and also working with some of the Irish in, in Calcutta. And the next thing, uh, Mother Teresa was dying at the time. Uh, the nurse told me afterwards that she whipped off the oxygen mask, refused the uh, refused the wheelchair and ran down the stairs to give me a big hug. And we sat down with the interview there. And, and something really, really, strange happened while I was sitting with her just just a date and a time flashed into my head and I went that's grand that's when it'll be aired I came back edited the documentary broadcast and she died after it aired oh my oh my and that was the final that was, that, that was chat it chat she had and on the record with anybody you know and, and it was, I, I, I couldn't believe it I was 22 years of age at the time um, the evening that she died I literally had the world press in my living room literally Reuters Press Association uh, the BBC came over um, and, and, it, and it, I'm still asked to this day but it was, it was, it was a wonderful experience and um, she felt so genuine she gave me post um, for, for, for people in Ireland to, to take home um, I, I didn't want to take any stamps from her but she said hey Marie people give me stamps from all over the world so I don't have to pay for postage please take my stamps so I wasn't going to argue with, with, with <laughs> Mother were, Teresa I took the letters it was fine um, but, but yeah and, and, mm. and, and the, the way she spoke and she had a picture of herself and Princess Diana up beside me on the right hand side of that ledge uh, and it's so funny that you know afterwards then that the two of them would have died within a week of each other isn't that just a, a, a real irony you, you mentioned the states where, where you were working before you came to uh, prepaid mm. why did you move back from the states number one and what's the link to prepaid financial services I think I think there were many reasons in fact I, I, I had a great one in America in the Obama years um, I would have worked with close to 3,000 businesses over eight and a half years um, and suddenly with a change in administration or a geopolitical um, uh, change over um, I, I found that, that certainly um, suddenly being Irish uh, became a little bit of an issue in getting 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 new work and uh, then I was gay um, and you know labelled autistic and, and I could feel that, that, that there was a shift in attitude um, so I started um, looking at uh, working um, back home and there was a lot I missed I mean I was, I was flying around the world I was living out of a giant suitcase I was flying non-stop uh, new countries new cities 
cities, uh, new hotels, living out of a, a suitcase and eating out of you know, hotels for, 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 for many years. Um, and that's only sustainable for, for so long. Um, I had worked with uh, Creative Union in the States, consulting with them on the marketing side. We won some major national awards. Then I had some um, exposure working with um, fintechs in London and Singapore. And then I came across a name called Noel Morn. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> history. Here she is today. Yes, a oh, lovely, lovely story. But you consulted with Fortune 500s yeah. and, you know, many companies over there. Um, are you a real driven person? You know, are you, are you driven by achievement? I think it's deeper than that. I, I, I think uh, emotion, personality, charisma drives me in my work. Um, I think when you were the kid who physically had so many problems and couldn't do what everyone else was able to do, that gives you a determination in life itself. I mean, you know, when you're the kid who struggles at everything everyone finds easy, um, I think that gives you momentum and impetus to, to, to make something of your life. And I knew mentally I was very strong, but physically I wasn't. And, and I overcame huge hurdles that way. And I think because of that resilience and, and, and something comes to mind and it always comes to mind. It took me five years of falling down every day to learn how to ride a bicycle. And you got up and every I time. Never, and I never gave up. And people, people n- will never know how hard that is. It's a real lesson, though, isn't it? Isn't it? That, you know, people get rejected in life, get put down. So you find themselves, as you say, as the underdog in life. Resilience is huge. I saw resilience when I made documentaries in sub-Saharan Africa. I saw the same resilience in the slums of Calcutta. I saw the same resilience uh, in holding the hands of people who were passing away in a hospital in France. I see resilience wherever I go. And I think resilience is the number one thing that the likes of Nolan Valerie will look for um, in an employee, that you will not give up. We never give up. I'm sorry I have to give up this conversation. <laughs> Look at that clock. I wish I could just wind it back. I wind it on. Look, it's just been marvellous meeting you today for the first time. Thank you, Jerry. And I wish you continued success. And thank you for sharing your story with us on Late Lunch today. I t- say to uh, Prepaid Financial, they have many special people working for them. You're extra special, Maria O'Riordan. Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch. Thank you, Jerry. The beautiful team at PFS and I really appreciate all your help. Mabel was in touch. She was listening to Paula Butler, who was with us a little bit earlier on such an interesting lady from Eco Conscious Living. And she was just saying that she works, Mabel works in a charity shop and, and they certainly don't send their clothes to landfill. And we, we understand that there are wonderful charity shops and the clothes go to other people and uh, around the communities and beyond. But there is, I have to say, there is, we know there is quite an element of clothes go into landfill, not alone in this country, but all over the world. Frances was out shopping yesterday looking for a washing machine. Listen to this, folks. Herself and her daughter looked at one and the gentleman in the shop gave a price of 320. They went to have a couple to think about it. That's what I should do more often. That impulse, them all... Uh, air fryers and bread makers and things. I should go, Louise, shouldn't I, for the cup of coffee? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so, As Francis did. Anyway, our son and the daughter went for the cup of coffee and to make up her mind, she went back to the shop and decided she was going to buy. There was a lady uh, uh, at the uh, desk, the purchasing desk in the shop and she just checked and she says the price is now 370. Just like that? Between a cup of coffee, it was 320, cup of coffee, (laughs) 
See, there's dangers as well. Goes on. There's, no, I'm thinking there's dangers and well in having that <laughs> cup of coffee and taking your time. That's some inflation, isn't it? Yeah. 370. She told the lady, I've only been in the shop a while ago with a gentleman and he quoted me 320. And she says, oh no, when we looked it up on the computer, it had gone up since you were here. Is that possible, Jerry? <sighs> I think when you're I mean, given a price. Yeah, you should have in to stick fairness, to it. That yeah. price was offered and should have been. So it was only a cup of coffee and in between. Mm. Come on, it can't be like that. 50 quid, 50 euros gone up between having a cup of coffee. Is it silver? Sometimes the, the silver models are dearer than I the I don't know. Well, you see, there could ones. have been an update on the, you know, at the back system, system on the mm. computers now. But if you're quoted 320, I really do believe any be reasonable it. business would stick with the 320. Honestly, Francis, go back. Go back and tell them you'll out them here on late lunch on LMFM radio. See what happens. Anyway, we got uh, St. Bridget's Cross in. Thank you indeed to Delia Heenahan from Mulhussey, Maynooth. She tells me that she's made over a thousand wow. Bridget's Crosses this year to distribute. Well done to you. Delia, if you're listening this afternoon, give us a ring. Leave your number here with us. Give us a ring to LMFM, will you? 1850 We get your number. There's no number on the little note for me. I'd love to have your contact number uh, for perhaps a chat down the road. Um, what else was I to mention this afternoon? Oh, yes. Drogheda District Anglers Club. Uh, their AGM is taking place on Monday the 17th of February in the Dermot Kieran Centre Scarlet Crescent Drogheda starts at 7.45 so that's Drogheda and District Anglers AGM 17th of February Dermot Kieran Centre Scarlet Crescent just to remind you about that all you anglers out there yes the fishing season is on the horizon and just to say again Just Great Country has arrived yes we're proud to announce the launch of our brand new station LMFM country so if you love all things country head over to the lmfm app or lmfm.ie we can click on through the listen live button to hear just great country all day every day you'll hear everything from nathan carter to george jones mike denver to the eagles and lots of other wonderful artists in between it's the all new lmfm country now available only on the lmfm app and at lmfm.ie enjoy it's another birthday is it today of it a, is of what? 85 years young who what monopoly the game monopoly mm. 85 years ago it takes 85 years to play <laughs> it's very long isn't it louise is not a fan no i'm not a fan i'm not a fan i just think it takes forever but having said that Cherry, i bet you didn't know that it's history. By 1938, it says here, Monopoly had already spread to Chile, Australia and Nazi Germany, where it played an intriguing role in the Second World War. Despised by Hitler Youth for being too Jewish, it said that the game was used to smuggle supplies into some prisoner of war camps via fake charities operated by the UK government. And the sets contain nail files, compasses, um, escape maps and Monopoly money. Um, which was suffused with real bills. And it was controversial in Cuba, where Fidel Castro ordered every set destroyed shortly after rising to power. God, it's Bet a you didn't terror. Know that. It's a terror the things a board game can mm. elicit with people. Do you know what the aim of Monopoly is? What's the aim of the game? What are you trying to do? You're trying to win all the money and buy all the streets and yes, bankrupt and everybody, aren't bankrupt, you? Bankrupt, yes. There was a crowd did that in Ireland about 10 years ago. <laughs> That's a dicey one. Yeah, there was. There was a crowd did it in Ireland 10 years ago. Drove us all into bankruptcy anyway. Did, they, did that game no have a special that. theme? <laughs> you know the way they brought don't, out different themes? Don't, don't mention the war. Don't mention the war. Yeah. You know, we're getting that here this afternoon. 
<laughs> anyway, I was never a great Did you like fan, fan of, of Monopoly myself. No, I just thought it was a, you know, like a bit intriguing. Throwing the dice. What What do I? Snakes and ladders with the dice. That's my mm. type of game. Game of life. Do you remember Up that? Up the ladder and back down. Do you know the only thing in our house? With Ava. She can't lose. <laughs> Ava's never lost a game of snakes and ladders in her life. No, never. Never. So you have she to look the other way. Wins. Ava always wins snakes and ladders. She's brilliant at it. Maybe, yeah. One day, her mammy, Sarah, decided <laughs> that the big snakes and ladders, you know the big one you can put mm. on the floor? Yeah. Not the little board game. And they were playing it. And I saw the crash mm. coming. I could see it a mile away. <laughs> Sarah got to the top before Ava. Oh. Woo! Eruptions. Like mother, like daughter then, is it? You can't beat Eva. No, you can't beat Eva. You can't beat Eva. Eva's the winner. She always wins the stakes. She's brilliant at it. Brilliant at all the games she's played. But you know what I'm saying, you know, anyway. I love Buckaroo. Do you? Buckaroo. Oh yeah, that's the thing. You load the, it's a yeah. horse and you put mm. things onto him and he bucks if you mm. just load it down to. Some of them are just classics. You can still get them. They are wonderful games. Snakes and ladders, drafts. Do you ever, you play oh, drafts? I like drafts, yeah. yeah. Like drafts, yeah. yeah like chess. Drafts. Do you ever play chess? Can't get the hang of chess. Oh, well, yeah, I can play it and I have played it and it's it's a really intense game. But drafts are great when you yeah. jump over. <laughs> <laughs> My granny, Monica, used to play drafts. She was a great drafts player. Loved playing drafts and they'd be folded away in the press and she'd take out the box and open it up and put the drafts on the table and then when we were finished, they were folded back in. But that's where I learned how to play drafts way back. Yeah, it's a great Many game. moons ago. It's a great game. Anyway, happy birthday, Monopoly. You've brought great joy to millions around the world. I'm talking about a special day. Today is World Cancer Day. And after the break, we're going to meet a young lady. We've met her before in late lunch. We're going to have a quick chat with her because it's a special day for her as well. Yes, Sarah O'Neill is with us on late lunch in a few moments. I'll forever remember her campaign. Always see her sitting here in this studio with her mam, where she's been on a number of occasions since 2014. And she's on the line with me today. Sarah O'Neill, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for taking our call today on World Cancer Day. Just remind our listeners again, uh, it was what, the summer of 2014 when you were first diagnosed? Um, yeah, yeah. I was trying to think what it was. It was round about June 14. And w- 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 just explain again. You went to your GP. You thought you had a pulled muscle or something, was it, Sarah? Yeah, um, I was in the gym quite a lot. So I had kind of been in and out of my GP with uh, pain in my chest. And originally thought it was a pulled muscle, yeah. And what transpired then was that you had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. What age were you? Were you 17 or 18 at the time? Uh, I was 17. I had just got, well, I had gone 17 in January. Okay, so 17 you were. And of course, it was a big year for you, uh, education-wise. Yeah, I was just about to go into sixth year. To do your leaving cert. Yeah, and of yeah. course, then you started on this journey. W- what form of your treatment, you had um, a different aspects to your treatment. What happened? Yeah, um, so first of all, I had chemotherapy. So that went on for about six months. They had thought at the start that that would have been enough, but it wasn't. So I was going then and having surgery um, to kind of remove what was left. But because of what they had like what they operated on and tested, there was still signs of lymphoma in that. So then I had radiotherapy just to 
yes. So chemo yes. surgery and then radiotherapy, and that took yes. place over months after the diagnosis from 2014 into 2015. But here's the thing about you: there was no stopping you with this leave insert. No, <laughs> <laughs> you, you sat it. Yeah, um, I do, so I had my surgery in the April. I done my leave insert then, and then I after my leave insert, I started radiotherapy. Kind of in the middle of it all, yeah. And it's a nice distraction, I always say. Yeah, you, you, you told me that before, that it was something yeah. that you had to concentrate on and you passed with flying colours. The rest is yeah. history. Have you graduated? Last time you were here with your lovely mammy, Sharon, yeah. you were telling us about your plans for where you were going, DCU and health and uh, society degree. Exactly. Have you completed it? Yeah, I graduated in November. Good woman yourself. Yeah. And what are you up to now? Um, I'm actually working in gym um, in Toronto, well, Southgate AMPC. So I teach classes and I do personal training. Good woman yourself. And again, you go for the regular checkups, they keep an eye on you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's actually, I had a checkup in October and it's pushed out now to every year. So I'll be five years clear this year. In September. Ah, what a story you are. And on this special day, World Cancer Day, we wanted to talk to uh, somebody who was young when diagnosed and now has moved all these years beyond and is doing great. And that is you, Sarah O'Neill. Hey, 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 I've said something to uh, reveal to the world. Have you ever had a tattoo? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Louise rang me and I've gone my way in. (laughs) I've had plenty. (laughs) <laughs> you had a tattoo done today, had you? Yeah, yeah. Is it to coincide with this day, this World Day, or was it just by coincidence? <laughs> every no, it wasn't even. Um, but every time I get one, I'm like, oh, sure, that's because of it. I just kind of, I think life's too short, and I'm always like, oh, well, I won't die because you know you can't have tattoos and this and that if you work in this. But I like them, so I just kind of yeah. Well, do and then I was kind of him and on, and then. When I realised it was work on today and I was going in, I was like, yeah. Get it done. (laughs) So so it's not the first you've had done? No, I've loads. You have loads. And do you mind, what part of your body did you get the tattoo Uh, on today? kind of on my shoulder. So they're all kind of small ones. You wouldn't really notice them. Um, I got a rose. Today. A rose today. A nice ah, little rose. ah, good yeah. on you. A rose for a rose and for a star as well, because you are such an inspiration, Sarah O'Neill. Continued Thank success you. to you in your Thank life, you. whatever you may do. You're a wonderful, wonderful example and inspiration to so many. Thank you for taking our call today. No problem. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Take bye. care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's the wonderful Sarah O'Neill there who uh, was diagnosed in June 2014 and now is well beyond and her checkups have been pushed out as you heard there and had the tattoo done to coincide with World Cancer Day today. It's a great wee story to finish late lunch today. Well, you know something, there's only one way to finish this with a song where star is in the word because, yes, Sarah O'Neill and all other cancer survivors and people who are on the journey are burning brightly stars for all of us. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Have a lovely Tuesday evening and we leave you in the company of Boy Meets Girl and Waiting for a Star. See you tomorrow. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.